I'm Chris Brennan, and this is Traditional Astrology Radio. Today is Tuesday, December 20th, 2011, and my topic today is going to be the issue of house division in traditional astrology, and in particular in the Hellenistic tradition. We're primarily going to be talking about the issue of whole sign houses versus quadrant houses, and the degree to which uh, one system uh, was dominant over another during the course of the Hellenistic tradition, and some of the debates surrounding that topic. So first, before I get into that, I wanted to uh, have a little section at the beginning of the show for uh, some news and some things that are going on in the world of traditional astrology today. So the first thing that I wanted to mention is that uh, Benjamin Dykes came out with uh, a new book just a few days ago. This is the Book of the Nine Judges, which is a uh, medieval compilation of uh, material. It's a, it's a translation of a 12th century Latin text that is itself a translation of earlier uh, Arabic texts on horary and interrogational astrology. So uh, this is actually one of the largest and most important compendiums on horary astrology, and there's a lot of very interesting uh, material in this text. So uh, I definitely recommend checking out that new text, uh, that new translation. You can find it on Ben's website at bendykes.com. The next piece of news is Demetra. Uh, Demetra George is doing a retreat uh, with the Texas uh, Astrology Re- Retreat Group. This is a group that every year uh, rents out a little retreat center in South Texas and uh, has a uh, full weekend workshop, basically, on traditional astrology. Uh, in past years, they've had out astrologers like Joseph Crane, uh, Robert Hand. I think last year they had Lee Lehman. Uh, I, I did a retreat for them in 2009, and this year they're having Demetra out to have a two- or three-day long intensive. Uh, the focus of the intensive is apparently uh, on using traditional astrology in modern practice, um, and the degree to which uh, the two, uh, I guess, modern and traditional techniques can be blended, or, or not so much blended, but how traditional traditional techniques can be applied within the context of a modern consulting setting, and some of the nuances and the sort of delicate areas that go along with that. Um, so it sounds like an interesting retreat. You can find out more information about it at uh, traditionalastrologyretreat.org, or you can go to Demetra's website at demetragorge.com, and I'm sure she's got information about it there as well. Uh, Speaking of conferences, the next piece of news is that we released the recording from the Traditional Astrology Conference that took place in September. Uh, That was the one that Demetra and Ben Dykes and myself uh, put together and organized over it was a two or two and a half day conference uh, that just consisted of presentations on different areas of traditional astrology by the three of us uh, in honor of the work of James Holden. Uh, the conference was held uh, under the auspices of the American Federation of Astrologers. Uh, they helped to organize it, and they're actually their headquarters are located uh, in Tempe, which is where the conference was uh, took place. So. That was a great conference. We packed a lot of information into it. The first day of the conference was on basic techniques and concepts. We divided it uh, into planets, signs, houses, and aspects. 
and day two was on advanced techniques, such as timing techniques. Um, so there was a lecture on horary, uh, a lecture on uh, annual perfections. Uh, Dimitri did a lecture on soul returns and uh, direct timing by planetary periods and ascensional times. And then I did a lecture on uh, zodiac releasing, the Time Lord technique from, from Vadius Valens. So uh, we basically took the recordings from that conference and put it all into one uh, audio CD. Uh, all the audio files are in MP3 format, and uh, we included a bunch of PDF files that contain handouts, and um, I, I threw a bunch of my PowerPoint slides in there, and so on and so forth. So it's actually a pretty good deal. Um, you can find out more about that if you go to my website, chrisbrennanastrologer.com, and if you go to the books and audio section, uh, you'll find the... Uh, CD uh, labeled traditional astrology in the 21st century. So check it out. And let's see, the last piece of news before I move on to the main topic of today's show is that I finally moved the podcast, uh, Traditional Astrology Radio, from the old site that I was using, blogtalkradio.com, to traditionalastrologyradio.com. So if you're listening to this show right now, you're actually listening to it on traditionalastrologyradio.com, but um, just a heads up that I finally made that transition. Uh, Blog Talk Radio just wasn't working out very well because they were uh, charging a lot for the service that wasn't very good, and they were putting a bunch of annoying ads right into the middle of the audio files, and um, uh, generally just not being a very good service. So uh, I finally moved off of that, and we're now fully on traditionalastrologyradio.com, so if you want to get updates on this show, or if you want to subscribe to it, then make sure you subscribe to our new uh, RSS feed, or sign up for email delivery, or what have you. Uh, if you know anyone who listens to the show and isn't aware that we've moved to this new website, then please let them know. And also, if you own a website, please, uh, and, you, and you enjoy listening to the show, then please uh, give us a link to traditionalastrologyradio.com and help spread the word. Uh, okay, so that's it for the news, uh, at least for this show. Uh, so on to the main topic, which is the issue of house division in the Hellenistic tradition. Uh, this, uh, I'm going to be talking about this topic today because this is actually something that came up uh, in the Skyscript forums recently. Uh, there was a thread on house division, and um, I think it actually started as a practical thread about how, uh, what form of house division a practicing astrologer should use, or what the nuances are if you're using certain types of house division. Uh, but it sort of became a thread sort of morphed into a thread very quickly about uh, the historical use of whole sign houses and to what extent whole sign houses were the dominant uh, system of house division in the Hellenistic tradition. Um, I, I showed up to the site, or I, I heard about the thread because I saw some traffic coming through uh, when somebody linked to an article that I had written where I talked a little bit about the history of whole sign houses, and so I came across the, the thread through that. And uh, when I got there, I noticed that um, a frequent post, uh, um, one of the moderators, uh, Mark Cullen, had written a somewhat lengthy post in which he questioned some, he made some pretty good, uh, raised some pretty good points or some pretty good questions about uh, the degree to which 
certain Hellenistic astrologers actually did use whole sign houses, and he, he brought into question whether or not that was the case with several of them. Um, I know he, he definitely called into question some sort of sweeping statements that I had made uh, a few years ago about the degree to which whole sign houses was the primary or, or dominant system of house division. Um, and I definitely can't fault him because I haven't, uh, in most of my articles on whole sign houses, or the one article I guess I've written, I didn't go out of my way to demonstrate or document the degree to which whole sign houses um, were used or, or, or some of the issues surrounding that. And for that matter, no one really has at this point. There's no single article, even though um, several people have written articles at this point uh, on ancient house division and specifically on the issue of whole sign houses versus uh, quadrant houses. Um, no one has really written a fully comprehensive article which analyzes each Hellenistic astrologer and comes to a sort of firm conclusion about what form of house division they were using. Now, there's some articles that have come close to this, um, or there's some articles that have given sort of overviews. For example, uh, James Holden published a paper in the early 1980s, and this was actually the first paper where anyone pointed out that the original form of house division was whole sign houses. Uh, and that was kind of a, that was definitely a very startling uh, discovery or a startling argument for somebody to be making because at that point in the early 1980s, whole sign houses was not something that was even conceptualized in Western astrology. I don't think there were probably uh, any Western astrologers who used whole sign houses um, or, or who knew about whole sign houses or what that concept was or that that was a specific approach to house division or that it could be, uh, let alone anyone who, who knew what it was. I mean, the best you could probably find is the fact that most Indian astrologers still used uh, whole sign houses or, and have for the past 2,000 years, but um, I don't think at that point there was a lot of, at least in the early 1980s, uh, Western astrologers hadn't really caught the... Um, this sort of interest, or hadn't developed the interest in, in Indian astrology yet, and so uh, I don't think there was as much familiarity with the fact that they used whole sign houses. Uh, anyway, so Holden published this paper paper in the early 1980s, basically uh, saying that whole sign houses was the original form of house division, and everything else came after that. Um, unfortunately, he published it in the AFA Journal, which was not uh, despite the AFA's great um, sort of long lineage, it's the oldest astrological organization in the United States, um, the AFA wasn't a huge or terrible, not huge, but ter let's say terribly popular organization in the 1980s because there was some sort of uh, friction between a lot of the newer generations of astrologers that came in in the 60s and 70s and the AFA, which was seen as sort of like the establishment at that point in time. So there was some sort of schism that occurred in the, what I guess it was like the 70s and 80s, and that's when a bunch of these other uh, astrological organizations, which at this point are, are, more, are bigger and more dominant, uh, but that's when they were formed, like the NCGR and ESAR and what have you. It was as a result of some, some sort of friction that was occurring in the astrological community at that time. Anyway, so... 
because of that, uh, Holden's paper, which was published in the very first AFA research journal, um, was not very widely known um, prior to, I guess, the mid-1990s or late-1990s when Holden's work became more widely known and more popular, partially because that was when he published A History of Horoscopic Astrology, which became, uh, in 1996, the sort of um, primary uh, source text for anybody who wished to study the history of astrology because it was just so uh, excellent and there was nothing even approaching that uh, at that point in time. Now, to, to, to some extent, that's still the case. Holden's uh, book is still probably, if not the best book on the history of astrology. It's one of the top, let's say, three or maybe top five uh, books on the history of astrology. Uh, the others would be maybe Nick Campion's uh, recent book, uh, two-volume series on the history of Western astrology. Uh, anyway, but I, I, I digress. So Holden published this paper in the early 1980s. Nobody really knew about it. Uh, you don't see it cited at all until much, much later, um, until after Holden became uh, more of a sort of leading figure in the the study of his, the history of astrology. Uh, so what happened next then when it comes to house division is that in the mid-1990s, 1992, 1993, um, Project Hindsight is formed uh, by Robert Hand and Robert Schmidt and Robert Zoller. And one of the discoveries that they make, uh, I think basically independently at that time, is that from what they could tell, uh, virtually all of the Hellenistic astrologers were using whole sign houses, and whole sign houses, to them at least, appeared to be the dominant form of house division in the Hellenistic tradition. And this was one of the big sort of discoveries that occurred early on in during the course of Project Hindsight, and there was a lot of uh, fanfare, but a lot of uh, ink spilt about it. Uh, and I think eventually he published a uh, article or a series of articles in the Mountain Astrologer about whole sign houses. Uh, that eventually became a uh, monograph that he published on his own through Arhat. Um, Schmidt wrote uh, not papers, but in, in several of his introductions to his preliminary translations that he released between uh, 1993 and 1990, in the late 1990s, actually it was from 1993 to 2001, uh, in the introduction to his translations, sometimes Schmidt would um, give sort of an update about what their research was showing or what the results of this translation project were at that point. And one of the things that he pointed out and talked about was the house division issue and the question of uh, what form of house division each of the astrologers was, was using. So one of the important pieces of scholarship that Schmidt wrote during this period in the mid-1990s was in his introduction to Ptolemy, he he basically laid it all out as far as what the evidence was at that point for uh, the use of whole sign houses. And he didn't go, he didn't really go through systematically through each of the astrologers since they were still in the process of producing translations at that point and they hadn't seen everything necessarily, uh, or at least they hadn't published translations of everything, whether or not 
he had read everything in Greek might be a different matter. But um, in this introduction to Ptolemy, which was, re I think, later republished as a separate paper, um, Schmidt basically made this argument where he, he basically pointed out that, for the most part, when discussing what he called topics, uh, topical matters, like areas of a person's life, like, um, you know, uh, weddings, like marriage, or career, or parents, or children, uh, or things like that that relate to the houses, uh, areas or topics in a person's life, that the Hellenistic astrologers tended to use whole sign houses, or actually he basically argued that they did use whole sign houses exclusively uh, for topical matters. Uh, that, that was his argument in the paper. Uh, however, it was when they wanted to study uh, what he calls, or when they wanted to use the houses for what he calls dynamic purposes, uh, which is to say to study what modern astrologers and, and what Hellenistic astrologers, for that matter, associate with the concept of angularity, so that there can be, um, that planets are more active or busy when they are in angular houses that are near the angles, or that they are moderately busy or moderately active when they are in succedent houses, or that they are um, lacking in activity, or they are uh, not busy when they are in cadent houses that are uh, declining away from the angles. So Schmidt basically pointed out or, or argued in this paper that um, for the most part that the Hellenistic astrologers, when they wanted to study topical matters, they used whole sign houses, but that it was when they wanted to study the angularity and the how active the planets were that they used quadrant houses. And he pointed to um, various sections in Ptolemy or in uh, Valens, uh, in particular, in Book 3 of Valens, when he's in the middle of the length of life treatment, he that that's the point at which Valens introduces um, what what basically became known as porphyry houses, where you trisect the arc between the uh, degree of the MC and the degree of the ascendant, uh, or you trisect the arc between the other angles and basically do or, or create quadrant houses. So this was a really important argument because basically what Schmidt was saying at that point is that uh, the houses were being used for different things and that, in effect, to some extent, the Hellenistic astrologers were using both whole sign houses and quadrant houses uh, at the same time. So this, this idea sort of um, got picked up. I think Hand referred to it in his... Uh, articles and in his monograph on whole sign houses, and I think um, that idea has generally been uh, repeated by a lot of people. Um, I mean, I think I, I was one of them at one point, uh, but in the past several years, one of the things that I realized when I really became or began to study the Hellenistic text closely and, and try to understand this issue of house division and how the Hellenistic astrologers uh, employed houses uh, during that period is that Schmidt's argument was correct, but he actually didn't take it far enough, I don't, I don't think. Um, it was a good argument where he was basically saying that they were using whole sign houses to 
study topics and quadrant houses to study planetary activity. And then he pointed to that, for example, that chapter in Valens where he uses quadrant houses for the sake of studying the length of life treatment. Um, I think that Schmidt didn't take that argument far enough because that's actually, for the most part at least, only true when it comes to the length of life technique. That most of the time the Hellenistic astrologers only introduce quadrant houses for the specific purpose of the length of life technique. Uh, and I think that's a really important distinction, because when you look at, uh, or at least that's, that's definitely the case in Valens, and to a certain extent I think that's the case in other authors like Ptolemy um, or Hephaestio, but um, if you look at Valens, you see him basically pull out porphyry houses uh, in Book 3 when he's doing the length of life technique. You don't see him use porphyry houses anywhere else, but what you do see is in Book 2, uh, when he's using the Trigon Lords, or the, the Triplicity Lords of the Sectlight technique, in order to study, um, in order to determine what the foundation or the basis of the nativity is. Uh, he, the primary um, sort of reference point for that is the angularity of the Trigon Lords. Uh, if the Trigon Lord is angular, he considers that to be really good. If the Trigon Lord is succeedant, he considers that to be only moderately good, or to give the native only a moderately stable foundation. Uh, and if the Trigon Lord is cadent, if it's in a declining house, then he considers the foundation of the native's life to be uh, highly unstable. So that technique, for the most part, is being studied almost entirely within the context of what we would call... Um, uh, what we would call angularity, or the, or the concept of angularity. But in those instances, Valens is explicitly and very clearly using whole sign houses. He's not pulling out quadrant houses uh, in order to study um, the angularity of the planets in that context. So this creates uh, a problem with Schmidt's argument, because it means that it's not necessarily true to say that they're using whole sign houses for topics and quadrant houses for matters of angularity, but instead uh, what it means is that most of the time they're using whole sign houses for both topics and for issues of angularity or, or dynamic issues, but then they are pulling out quadrant houses for the purpose of the length of life treatment. So this creates an interesting issue. I mean, that's that's basically um, my argument at this point, and I think I think Schmidt would probably agree that for the most part they only applied it, or they had a tendency to apply quadrant houses to the length of life technique primarily. Now, there's some exceptions to this, but they're kind of uh, weird, and it's not clear what the application is yet. For example, in Dorotheus, he does seem to make a statement at one point that the um, influence of the Ascendant extends uh, several degrees beyond uh, where it's located. Even if the, the degree of the Ascendant is located at the very end of a sign, he says that the influence extends for like another 15 degrees or something like that. Um, that may be 
and Porphyry actually makes a similar statement at one point um, in a, a chapter of the introdu introduction that if the ascendant is very late in a sign that the power of the ascendant uh, somehow extends beyond that by, by several degrees. Um, so that actually does sound similar to or closer to Schmidt's argument about using a, a form of quadrant houses for determining planetary activity, but uh, it's not clear if they're like trisecting the arc between the ascendant and the midheaven and everything else, if they're going the whole nine yards with that, or um, if this is only applying to the ascendant. Uh, there's some possibility that what they're saying does only apply to the ascendant, and this isn't something that's being drawn out into an, a whole sort of extensive or elaborate secondary overlay uh, of, a, of a house system. Uh, but anyway, so that being said, um, the Hellenistic astrologers, from what I can tell, and this is my position at this point, is that I think, or this is my sort of overview of what happened in ancient astrology when it comes to the issue of houses, um, I think that whole sign houses clearly was the original form of house division uh, to whatever extent that um, there was an original form of house division, which I, I think there was, and I think that I can argue that there was. Um, now this gets kind of into a sort of murky area when it comes to the history of astrology, but there are some references by various authors which seem to attribute the 12 topic house system to Hermes and they attribute another eight topic system which just deals with the first eight houses uh, to Asclepius. So I think that there was, I think that what probably happened uh, from a historical perspective is that there was some text uh, that was written and attributed to Hermes uh, that outlined the original system of 12 houses and, and basically the concept of houses in the first place. Now, there's plenty of debates about how, how Hellenistic astrology developed and there's this big sort of war that's going on between these two camps right now of scholars and, and astrologers who are basically arguing uh, back and forth about whether or not Hellenistic astrology represents a sudden invention or whether or not it was a gradual development that took place over several centuries. So without getting too much into the nuances of that debate, um, my sort of middle ground argument is that at some point someone started using the houses and somebody started using the houses together with the 12 sign zodiac. And at some point, someone uh, was using the zodiac and the houses together in something uh, closely resembling what we see used in later authors, such as Dortheus and Valens in the first and second century. So, one of the things, one of the commonalities is that sometimes the topics associated with these houses are very similar that sometimes there's a tendency to associate the third house with siblings, or the uh, fourth house with parents, or the seventh house with marriage, or the tenth house with proxis or action. 
Uh, in addition to that, there are sometimes... Uh, I found references in Dorotheus and Rhetorius where sometimes when they... Uh, and I think even Firmicus, when they refer to the houses and they start giving their delineations that they're clearly drawing on some text for, uh, when they're delineating basically planets in the Twelve Houses, uh, they seem to often reference this text uh, that was apparently written by Hermes. So my argument at this point, it's sort of a long argument that I've been writing, uh, working on for a couple of years, and I have a very long, uh, like, 10 or 20 page argument where I build this up with plenty of footnotes and references and everything else. But the gist of it is basically that I think that there was probably some text early on uh, that was attributed to Hermes. And this text, along with the text attributed to Asclepius, which I'm not entirely clear on what the relation is between those two texts, but I, they, they seem to be... Uh, have been separate texts that were somehow used together, but that these were the texts that basically outlined the doctrine of the Twelve Houses early on. Now, this probably was... I don't want to like wade into the debate about the gradual development or sudden invention, but um, to the extent that in not not to defend the sudden invention hypothesis but to the extent that some later hellenistic astrologers were drawing on earlier texts that were attributed to or were written by specific authors and to the extent that hellenistic astrologers in different eras in different parts of the mediterranean uh, or in different parts of the roman empire uh, in the early part of the first millennium were drawing on the same texts or the same authors and thus um, taking part in or, or drawing on similar doctrines and incorporating them into their techniques. To the extent that that was true, um, there was some continuity in the Hellenistic tradition. And I think that this is one of the areas where sometimes you see continuity in the way that certain authors delineate houses because they're drawing on similar on a similar collection of early source texts. Now, that doesn't mean that there can't be variations or that um, you know some texts didn't disagree with each other. In fact, I think that the Hermes text and the Asclepius texts were uh, separate texts, which later sort of got merged. And I think this is one of Schmidt's arguments, and I think it's a really good one, which is basically that the Hermes text originally had these 12 topics, and the Asclepius text had eight, uh, eight topics that were assigned to the first eight signs, and that most of the later, uh, later uh, examples of house division in the Hellenistic tradition represent a synthesis of these two approaches. Um, I think that's a really good point to make. It's not, it's not even an argument, it's like an observation. Um, so I, I think that you have these early texts, they're written on house division, and uh, what happens is that I think that those texts were working primarily from a sign-based framework, and I think that this is the reason that, especially in the early Hellenistic astrologers, there's a tendency to use whole sign houses. Um, I think there's a tendency to use whole sign houses because that was the original house system. Uh, additionally, 
I, I would further defend that argument that Holstein Houses was the original house system by pointing out that from a conceptual standpoint, uh, Holstein Houses make more sense within the context of how the Hellenistic astrologers sometimes talk about um, how the significations of the houses are derived. For example, uh, they say that the the good houses, or the houses that um, have positive significations associated with them, are those houses that are configured to the ascendant, to the ascending, to the let's say just the first house, uh, by one of the traditional aspects. So sextile, square, trine, and opposition. So this is the, if you draw those aspects from the first house, it basically goes to the third, the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, the ninth, the tenth, and the eleventh. Um, and all of the topics associated with those houses are, are generally positive. Uh, so, for example, the third house is siblings, the fourth house is parents, the fifth house is children, the seventh is marriage, the ninth is uh, travel or religion, uh, the tenth is action or proxis or the natives, uh, what the native does, literally. And the eleventh house is friends. So then, when you look at the other remaining four houses, those are houses that are not configured to the ascendant by one of the four, uh, one one of the uh, traditional aspects. So this is the second house, the sixth, the eighth, and the twelfth. Uh, none of those houses are configured to the ascendant by a, a traditional aspect, and so they end up being associated with uh, more negative things like. Uh, illness or death or loss. So that that conceptualization, that sort of conceptual framework only makes sense uh, in a sign-based approach because it's only in a sign-based approach that you can really say that the, uh, let's say that the eighth house never aspects the ascendant or that the sixth house or the second house can never aspect the ascendant by any of the major aspects. That's only true when it comes to whole sign houses, and there are many instances in which that would not be true if you were using quadrant houses. So, to me, that's one argument. It's a, it's a reasonable argument as to why whole sign houses clearly, um, or at least conceptually, make the most sense within the context of the how some of the meaning of the houses were originally uh, devised, how the meanings of the houses were originally devised. So, Holstein houses was probably the original system. Um, I think most people would agree with that at this point in time. I think most people who have researched Hellenistic astrology would agree with that. I think there's some people that dissent, but I feel pretty confident about that assertion. So, what I think happened is that this Asclepius text and this Hermes text were both using whole sign houses. Um, and, but then there was this other text which was uh, perhaps even more popular or more significant. And this was the text or series of texts attributed to Nechepso and Petasiris. Uh, this, these texts were basically even more widely known. Um, than, or possibly, than the Hermes and Asclepius texts. But the Nechepso and Petasiris texts from 
what I can tell, and based on my research, I can prove pretty conclusively that it was the Nechepsum Pediceris text where the length of life treatment or, or technique was originally outlined. So this is the technique um, that's used by basically every Hellenistic and medieval astrologer from the 1st century BC all the way until the 17th century. This is basically the technique that involves primary directions and finding the high leg and the alcocodon and everything else um, that most people are familiar with. This technique, uh, from based on my research, was originally introduced by Nechepso and Pediceris. Um, it seems like it's almost uh, sometimes more closely associated with Pediceris, and Pediceris's name comes up more often uh, within the context of this technique than Nechepso, but I'm, I'm not fully clear on the relationship between those two. Uh, sometimes some authors treat Nechepso and Pediceris as if they were um, like partners who were writing in the same book, and that the Nechepso Pediceris compendium was one compendium. Other times, Nechepso and Pediceris these sort of um, uh, mysterious founders of Hellenistic astrology is how they're usually uh, referred to or alluded to by uh, Hellenistic astrologers. Sometimes they're referred to separately, or some authors, like sometimes Valens, will talk about Nechepso on the one hand, but then he'll talk about Pediceris and certain books that Pediceris wrote on the other. So sometimes they're treated as if they're distinct authors. But... Um, Brushing that issue aside for a moment, it's usually Nechepso and Pediceris who are referenced the most often when the topic of the length of life treatment comes up, and um, I have a separate paper that I'm working on where I can demonstrate pretty conclusively that they are probably, or, or that it was in the, the texts attributed to those authors that this technique was first outlined. So the issue with that, or why that's important to us today is that, uh, as I stated earlier, uh, it tends to be when the Hellenistic astrologers are talking about the length of life technique, that tends to be the point in their texts in which they introduce some form of quadrant houses. So I think the reason for this is because I don't think that the, the Hellenistic astrologers are just randomly deciding to introduce quadrant houses for fun at this point in their textbooks, but I think the reason that they're doing this is because that's what the original source text did uh, that they're all drawing on. And to some extent you can see some of those references when Valens starts talking about, or, or Ptolemy talks about the Ancient One and what the Ancient One says, and why you have to do the, the length of life technique before anything else. And Valens talks about Pediceris at the beginning of his um, length of life treatment, and, and so on and so forth. So I think what happened is that in the Nechepso and Pediceris text, for some reason, uh, they outlined quadrant houses for the specific purpose of uh, doing the length of life technique. And for those of you who aren't familiar, basically what you do is, um, with the length of life technique, you're trying to find uh, first a what they call a predominator, or a predominating planet. Now, sometimes this is usually going to be the sun in a day chart, if it's angular uh, and well-placed. 
or the moon in the night chart if it's angular and well placed. Those placements tend to be preferred um, by most authors. So, but the, one of the key factors in that analysis is angularity, that they really wanted whatever planet was going to be the starting point for the length of life technique to be angular. Somehow it had to be angular and it had to be strong enough to sort of uh, represent the life force of the native in order for it to uh, represent or, or be the primary planet that represented the length or was able to measure the length of the native's life. Uh, and then usually what you do with that planet is, once you've found the predominator, um, you then find the ruler of the predominator, which sometimes, in some authors like Valens, it seems to be, uh, many of the early authors like Dorotheus and Valens seem to prefer the, the bound lord, or the uh, ruler of the terms of the predominator, and then that planet becomes the master of the nativity, or the ruler of the nativity. Uh, in the medieval tradition, they call this the Alcocodon. Uh, so usually what you do is you use primary directions to direct the predominator until it hits the ray of a malefic, and at that point, uh, if the conditions are right, and there's a bunch of conditions, then that's when the native's life do uh, is basically brought to an end. Um, you're also supposed to use the master of the nativity in order to calculate a certain number of years based on its dignity and based on the condition of that planet in the chart. And there's a bunch of complicated rules for adding and subtracting years. Um, but basically, if the years of the master are the same as the years of the predominator, then you have a, a, a rough approximation of when the native will, will, will die. Um, anyway, so in order to determine the predominator, they were primarily, one of the things that they were primarily focused on was the angularity of that planet. Uh, this comes through very strongly in Valens, it comes through very strongly in Antiochus and Porphyry, uh, it even comes through strongly in other authors like um, Ptolemy to a certain extent. So, but instead of using, what's weird here is that is instead of using this sort of idealized system of whole sign houses, um, the Nechepso and Petasiris text seems to have uh, wanted to focus on and wanted to take into account the actual degree of the midheaven or the degree of the MC. Um, now I was having a conversation with, so, so what that means basically is that they, um, they were particularly paying attention to the degree of the midheaven, the degree of the MC, the degree of the descendant, and the degree of the IC, and the sectors or the degrees immediately after those are following those angles, following the degrees of those angles, and they were considering or treating those, um, those sort of ranges as being authoritative in some way, so that if your candidate for the predominator was in those areas of the chart or in those sectors, then it was capable of becoming the planet that measures the length of life. But if it was not in those sectors, then it was not, uh, or it did not have the authority to measure the, le the length of life. So uh, what this means basically is that in the Nechepso and Petasiris text, they outlined some form of quadrant houses. They were not using the idealized 
sign-based system of whole sign houses and just using the tenth whole sign house or the tenth sign relative to the ascendant as the midheaven, but instead they were using the degree of the MC, apparently for the purpose of this specific technique. Um, I was having a discussion over the phone with Benjamin Dykes about this the other night, and he pointed out that one of the reasons why this might have been the case, um, to sort of bolster this argument that I'm making, is that in the length of life technique, they were using the essential times of the signs in order to direct, to direct the predominators. So there was actually a focus already on using the uh, essential times of the signs and measuring the um, time in which certain planets would uh, go from either the, the ascendant to the midheaven or the midheaven to the ascendant or what have you. And in that context, um, it makes more sense or, or you become more acutely aware that the actual degree of the MC is not necessarily in the 10th whole sign house. So this may have been the reason why uh, or the motivation for introducing quadrant houses in this context. Uh, and that, that makes a good deal of sense to me. So, but part of the problem though is that um, it, they probably did not outline their, this approach very clearly, or they don't appear to have outlined their approach to using quadrant houses uh, within the context of this technique very clearly, because um, different authors later in the Hellenistic tradition seem to have different ways of going about doing it, and there seems to have been some confusion or some disagreement about how to, or, or what area after the degree of the angles was to be considered active um, or angular, let's say. Uh, so the reason for this is partially because, um, like this may be an issue just like the lot of fortune. Um, Valens at one point, he quotes uh, Nechepso and Petasiris for the lot of fortune, and um, just in, in general in Valens' text, he's often complaining about how Nechepso and Petasiris are being particularly cryptic in certain passages. Uh, at one point in Book 7, he sort of figuratively throws up his hands and exclaims that either these two are, are deliberately going out of their way to make this material to, to hide this material and make it so difficult, to make their texts so difficult to understand that um, that nobody can understand them, or that they're, they're basically being deliberately cryptic, or they simply don't know what they're talking about. Um, eventually, he, he basically decides that they must just, he thinks that they do know what they're talking about, obviously, because he keeps trying to unravel their systems. So, he just considers them to be highly difficult and cryptic authors who wrote in a style that was difficult even for Valens to understand, or difficult even for ancient astrologers to, to understand. Um, this may, I, I've sort of speculated in the past, I've spe I speculate in my course uh, and in a chapter that I'm writing in my book, that this may be connected to some of the issues that have to do with um, mystery traditions in the ancient world, and that show up particularly strongly in texts like Valens and Firmicus, where they ask the reader to swear an oath 
to keep the teachings secret and not to share them with the unlearned or the uninitiated. Uh, the style of writing of Nechepso and Petasuris may have been, to some extent, uh, deliberately cryptic um, because it was part of this sort of broader mystery tradition or this undercurrent of mystery traditions that appears to have been present to some extent um, during the Hellenistic tradition. Uh, so that that's just kind of a speculation, though, because we don't, unfortunately, have the original texts of Nechepso and Petasuris. They've been lost. So all we have is these fragments and these references by later authors uh, with which we can try to reconstruct what their original texts were. But one of the other doctrines that Nechepso and Petasuris dealt with was the Lot of Fortune, and Valens actually quotes this particularly uh, cryptic passage from, I think it's from Nechepso, uh, in book two of the anthology, and he, it's basically this cryptic passage where Nechepso is explaining how to calculate the Lot of Fortune, and Valens makes this statement that different authors or different astrologers have interpreted this passage in different ways. Um, and then he goes on to explain what he thinks the passage means and what his interpretation is of it, even though in the rest of the anthology he doesn't seem to follow that interpretation. So to me what this has always indicated is that there was uh, that one, or point one, the Nechepso and Petasiris text, which was one of the earliest texts and was somehow foundational and at least to whatever extent it was seen as authoritative, it was drawn on by a lot of later astrologers. Um, this text was written cryptically, so that's point one. It was difficult to understand. And uh, point two is that because it was cryptic or difficult to understand, it was open to interpretation. So point two is the text was open to interpretation. Point three is that different astrologers... Um, because the text was open to interpretation, different astrologers uh, basically came to different conclusions about what the text meant. So this meant that sometimes different astrologers disagreed about the same doctrine and about how to calculate certain things in a chart. Uh, the Lot of Fortune is a good example of this. This may be part of the reason why, for example, um, even though the majority of Hellenistic astrologers reversed the, cal the calculation for the Lot of Fortune by day and by night, there's some astrologers like Ptolemy and uh, this anonymous text um, in Greek horoscopes who do not, who say that you should not reverse the calculation for day and night charts. And indeed, Valens' interpretation of the passage from Nechepso is that you only reverse the calculation sometimes, depending on if the moon is above or below the horizon. Uh, so I don't want to get too much into the details of that, but basically what I'm pointing out here is that um, some of the variations, or some of the apparent variations in the Hellenistic tradition derived as a direct result of differing interpretations of earlier source texts that the later astrologers were drawing on. Um, I think that that's a pretty safe argument to make in so much as I'm not trying to wade into the gradual development or sudden invention argument here, but I, I think I don't necessarily need to, and you don't necessarily need to interpret me as 
coming down on one side or the other when it comes to that, um, because you could make the same statement about modern astrology. So uh, in modern astrology, let's just say there were some authors or some astrologers who were more influential than other astrologers. So uh, Alan Leo, for example, was more influential than, um, I mean, I want to say Safariel, because uh, Safariel is usually used as a case. Uh, Kim Farnell talks about Safariel as the guy who almost became the figurehead of the modern revival, but then didn't through a, a sort of series of unfortunate circumstances. Um, so to the, but let's use that as an example. So let's say that Alan Leo was more influential than Safariel. To the extent that Alan Leo was more influential, or to the extent that his text was read more widely uh, around the world than Safariel's texts or, or textbooks on astrology, uh, more people were using him as an authority and drawing on his system and were interpreting and finding new and creative and innovative ways of using his doctrines and putting them into practice or turning them into something else. So um, I think it was probably the same case basically during the Hellenistic tradition. Uh, I'm not really clear the degree to which you know there may have been founders or that it was suddenly invented by one guy but I am pretty certain that there were some texts in the early Hellenistic tradition that were seen as more authoritative um, or that seemed to have had more influence than others and that lots of later astrologers drew on. So uh, that was certainly the case and this may have created some confusion. It, it certainly created some confusion when it came to the issue of the Lot of Fortune and the other lots, but I think that this was also the case, uh, so I can bring this long digression back on point, this was also the case when it came to the issue of how to divide the quadrant houses. Um, I think that the, the Cheps and Pedasiris text, from what I can tell, when it came to this um, topic, they seemed to, they must have spoken really generally about um, where planets had to be and what relation they had to have to the angles or how close they had to be to the angular degrees in order to be considered active or busy or chromatisticos uh, is the Greek term. Um, and it was kind of open for later astrologers to some extent to interpret and I think this is why, initially, if you look at Valens's chapter uh, in Book 3 on the length of life treatment, um, when he introduces quadrant houses, at first he says, he introduces this doctrine where he says that it's just the, um, that you, you find the degree of the MC and the IC and you trisect the quadrants, in the, you trisect the four quadrants, but then it's just the first sector immediately following um, the angles, the degrees of the angles that's active or busy, and that the rest is considered to be not busy. So that's like taking into account just the angular houses and then disregarding or considering the succedent and the cadent houses to be uh, equally um, unactive or inactive. Uh, that's sort of the first approach that he outlines, but then he says that there's a better way of doing it, and then he outlines the system where you trisect the four quadrants, and then you say that the 
house, let's say the quadrant house immediately following the angles is active or fully active, the house in the middle, the succedent quadrant house, is moderately active, and then the house after that, the cadent houses, are completely inactive. So he basically outlines, uh, and this is basically porphyry houses, using angular, succedent, and cadent uh, values or qualities dynamically. Um, yeah, but, but he treats it like this is like a new thing, or like that this is an innovation, or like this is something unique to him, uh, which is kind of weird. And the fact that he introduced the original, the, the other system first, makes me think that, well, A, that uh, there must have been some ambiguity there, otherwise he just would have outlined the first system, or, or the second system first. Um, but also even the degree to which there's variation in some of the other authors, um, either in the way that they calculate the houses or in some of the nuances that they add on top of it, like Ptolemy's five-degree rule, which doesn't show up in Valens or uh, Dorotheus. Um, you know, is that, is that something Ptolemy came up with himself? Is that a creative innovation that's based on a unique reading of some earlier text, like the Nechepso and Petasiris text, that is it based on some sort of unique reading that Ptolemy had of that text? Um, we don't know. All we know that is, is that there is some variation when it comes to the actual application of quadrant houses, and I suspect that some of it has to do with differing interpretations when it came to that original Nechepso and Petasiris text. Okay, so that's basically the state of things in the first and second century, is that what you have basically in the earlier or middle part of the Hellenistic tradition is that for the most part the Hellenistic astrologers are using whole sign houses for just about everything, uh, except when it comes to the length of life treatment, and that's when they pull out quadrant houses and start using this other form of house division, but mainly or almost exclusively just for the purpose of this specific, this specific technique. Um, but the problem with this is that it started forcing some of the Hellenistic astrologers to pay more attention to the actual degree of the midheaven, which floats around the top half of the chart, uh, as well as the degree of the IC, which floats around the bottom half of the chart. And I think that this led to some sort of middle phase in the interaction between whole sign houses and quadrant houses, and I think you see this clearly exemplified in, or demonstrated in Valens. Uh, there's a chapter in Book 5 where he's talking about perfections, and all of a sudden he has this digression where he starts talking about the degree of the MC, and he basically says, this is the chapter where uh, we get the idea that the degree of the MC can float around the top part of the chart, and that it can import what are essentially 10th house significations into whatever whole sign house that it falls in. So for example, if the degree of the MC falls in the 11th house, then somehow career matters, 10th house matters, get tied up with uh, 11th house matters. So the native might have a career that has to do with their friends or with groups. 
Or, on the other hand, let's say the degree of the midheaven falls in the ninth whole sign house, uh, then the native might have a career that has to do with ninth, ninth house matters, like education or travel or foreigners or what have you. Um, I think Rob Hand uses his own chart as an example, or at least I, I like to use Rob Hand's chart as an example for this, since uh, he's a famous astrologer and his midheaven, his MC, falls in his ninth whole sign house. And traditionally the ninth house is the house of astrology. <clears throat> so uh, this is the chapter where Valen, in this chapter Valens outlines that rules. So that in and of itself is showing some sort of middle ground or some sort of transitional phase between whole, whole sign houses and quadrant houses because Valens is attributing significations to the degree of the MC and also uh, to the degree of the IC. He basically says the same thing about the IC. Uh, now, one thing that he doesn't do at this point is he does not trisect the quadrants. So there's no evidence that Valens is taking uh, full-blown quadrant houses and giving topical significations to those divisions. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that he's taking it that far. Uh, however, there is clearly something that's starting to happen where that secondary division, or at least those secondary angles, are, are um, starting to overlap in significations. Or at least some astrologers are starting to get creative with it to the extent that they're considering that the degree of the MC can also have 10th house significations and that those can overlap with the whole sign significations. Uh, so to me that's kind of the, the uh, middle sort of transitional phase when it comes to the, whole, the interaction between whole sign houses and quadrant houses. They're still using whole sign houses primarily for most things uh, but they're starting to treat the degree of the degrees of the angles as having topical significations. So that's the state of things by the second century, at least. Uh, then, if you fast forward a few centuries to the late Hellenistic tradition uh, and to the latest Hellenistic astrologers whose works survive, which are Rhetorius of Egypt and Olympiodorus, the philosopher, uh, the Neoplatonic philosopher, um, what you see in Rhetorius and Olympiodorus is that they're drawing on early, uh, earlier authors. So Rhetorius is just um, assembling this huge compendium where he's largely drawing on uh, authors like Antiochus and Valens and Ptolemy. Um, and Olympiodorus is writing a commentary on an astrologer who lived and wrote a couple centuries before he did, two or three centuries before, uh, his commentary on Paul of Alexandria. And the authors that these guys are drawing on are using whole sign houses, so that it, for the most part, if you read Rhetorius or you, you read Olympiodorus, um, it looks like they're using whole sign houses for the most part, because that's what their sources were using. Uh, however, at the towards the end of both of their texts, towards the end of Rhetorius, he has this cha this chapter where he delineates um, an example nativity, and he explains why certain things happened in this person's life. Um, 
And in this chapter, Rhetorius uses this interesting blend, this interesting framework, which is basically a blend of both whole sign houses and quadrant houses for topical significations. Uh, he keeps switching back and forth. He'll say that uh, one planet is in the 10th house by sign, but by degree it's in the 9th house or, or something like that. And he keeps switching back and forth between um, talking about the position of a placement by sign, which means by whole sign house, versus by degree, which means basically by quadrant house. Um, and he seems to be attributing topical significations to both. Uh, so that's an interesting middle ground in Rhetorius, assuming that that's chap that chapter is um, not valid, but is assuming that it's not an interpolation by a later author, um, since he only seems to do it in that one chapter. But assuming that's legitimate, uh, basically it shows that by the late Hellenistic tradition, um, this issue between whole sign houses and quadrant houses had come fully into focus to the extent that, in practice, at least, Rhetorius, one of the last great Hellenistic astrologers, um, appears to have been using both house systems uh, at once and creating some sort of creative synthesis between the two. Uh, Olympiodorus is kind of a similar case, except he has this chapter, which, again, assuming it's not an interpolation, this one's a little bit weird because it comes out of the CCAG, and I'm not entirely clear um, what the editorial principles were for including it, other than that it was attributed to Heliodorus, so it was supposed to come from the same commentary on Paulus that uh, the rest of this commentary came from, which is now being associated with Olympiodorus. Um, anyways, Olympiodorus has this chapter where he, he sort of has this digression. It's actually at the end of a chapter is where the editors inserted this um, sort of subchapter. Uh, he has this digression where he basically says that his predecessors were using whole sign houses, that they were using the signs themselves as houses, uh, but that this doesn't always work uh, because of the degree of the midheaven and the degree of the IC. And then he proceeds to basically um, outline a form of quadrant houses. Um, so it's not clear how far he takes this and if this becomes his primary or his only system, but what is clear is that he's aware, he's aware of the difference and he's considering this to be an issue at that point that like something that needs to be brought up and needs to be pointed out. Um, and it's clear that he's advocating the use of quadrant houses topically. Um, although it's not clear to what extent he still would include whole sign houses as having some relevance. If he's, if he's um, like rhetorious and he's trying to create some sort of synthesis or blend between the two, or if he's advocating something more extreme, like the use of quadrant houses entirely, uh, which is what became the standard in the later medieval tradition. But anyway, that, that kind of, that brings us to the end of the Hellenistic tradition. This is, Rhetorius and Olympiodorus are our uh, latest two surviving authors from the Hellenistic tradition, and they sort of bookend uh, the very end of it. Um, after this point, what you have is the beginning of the medieval tradition uh, in Baghdad in the late 8th century. 
and you have these foundational authors like uh, Mashallah and Saul ibn Bishr and uh, Umar uh, writing these texts that basically became the foundational texts of the medieval tradition. Um, and they're also basically writing some of the earliest surviving horary texts and everything else uh, and basically codifying the basic uh, approach to horary that's still used today. Um, in these authors, though, Mashallah, for example, is primarily drawing on sources like Dorotheus and Valens. And I think because of that, this is the reason why um, why he has a tendency, from what I can tell, to prefer and to use Holstein houses, even though he's in the early medieval tradition. And I think this reliance on authors like Valens and Dorotheus as a result of the Persian translation of those texts is the reason why, at least in the early part of the medieval tradition, Holstein houses tend to uh, be the dominant form of house division. However, uh, ben, ben has done a lot of, Ben Dykes has done a lot of work on this, and he's pointed out in the introduction to some of his translations over the past few years that there was this shift that oftentimes the sources that these authors were drawing on were using Holstein houses, but that there was some point where um, they were starting to incorporate and include quadrant houses as well, and that there were some authors um, who certainly preferred quadrant houses, like Alcabizi. Uh, so, eventually, uh, and this part's still unclear, I don't, I don't feel like anyone's fully explained what happened, but at some point over the course of the next few centuries, Holstein houses basically gets forgotten, and quadrant houses comes to be the dominant system in the Western tradition. Um, I think that Rob Hand, when he published his monograph on Holstein houses, he, he sort of alludes to this argument, or he, he sort of uh, puts forward this argument, this sort of tentative argument that maybe it had something it had some something to do with like a mistranslation, uh, either a mistranslation or uh, he points out that the shift towards quadrant houses happens rapidly uh, or really begins to set in after some commentaries on Ptolemy started being published in the ninth uh, century, and he says that. Uh, or he sort of implies, I guess, that perhaps the shift towards Holstein houses happened as a result of um, basically interpretations of Ptolemy, and specifically uh, the question about what form of house division Ptolemy uses, since he's very cagey about the, the subject. Um, so I don't know to what extent that happens, and I'm still looking forward to somebody publishing a, a more extensive treatment of house division in the medieval period, where where they show, you know, which authors were using Holstein houses and which were using quadrant houses, and when everything switched and why. Um, I don't think we fully have that answered yet, but um, that brings me to my last point, which is just Ptolemy. Um, because Ptolemy is a weird case, and in this thread on Skyscript, Ptolemy came up because there's kind of a debate about what system of house division Ptolemy used or preferred. Um, I, I think, and I have thought for a while now, or 
yeah, I, I basically said in this thread that I thought that uh, Schmidt did a good job of pointing out the instances where Ptolemy refers to the signs, or seems to refer to the signs as houses, uh, in his text, and that these references are clear allusions to whole sign houses. Um, some people, a lot of people haven't read Schmidt's translation, but some people were saying, uh, I know definitely that Deborah Holding disagrees, and she says that um, because Ptolemy introduces his preferred form of house division in book three during the course of the length of life technique, and because it's quadrant houses, that that's the type of house division that he preferred and meant to be used during the rest of the text. Um, so I, I disagree with that based on my argument that um, most authors, like other authors like Valens, also introduce quadrant houses within the context of the length of life technique, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that was their preferred method of house division. Um, so I, I don't think that Ptolemy introducing houses or quadrant houses in that chapter means that that's his preferred method. And what I did actually, because somebody, uh, Eddie from the Netherlands, uh, I think suggested that uh, someone should demonstrate the instances in which Ptolemy used whole sign houses, uh, if that was the argument they were going to make. So I actually took up that challenge and wrote a long blog post on the Hellenistic Astrology website, which you can check out, where I went through and pointed out the, I think it's like six or seven, or maybe five or six instances where Ptolemy refers to the signs as houses in a way that seems to almost in some instances unequivocally unequivocally be references to whole sign houses. Um, now Ptolemy is kind of a weird character in and of itself, and, and reacquainting myself with his approach to house division sort of reminded me of this, and the degree to which he was trying to systemize like a specific approach to astrology. And he, in book three, at the beginning of book three, he really outlines what his whole approach is going to be, and then he applies that in subsequent chapters, but um, one of the things that he has a tendency to do is he has a tendency to use the planets as significators for certain topics rather than the houses. Um, now somebody said, so, so for example, if he wanted to study the mother, he would advocate that you look at the moon rather than, let's say, the fourth house. Or if you wanted to look at the father, you would look at the son rather than the fourth house. Or if you wanted to look at um, uh, basically any topic, you would look at the planet associated with that topic rather than some house associated with that topic. He, have a, he has a different, definite uh, tendency uh, to do that. And it's really pronounced, especially when you compare his work to uh, Dorotheus or Valens, where they'll often introduce... They, they will introduce planetary significators, but they'll also often introduce a house that is associated with a specific topic, or even a, a lot, or an Arabic part that's associated with a specific topic in order to provide a different access point for delineating that topic in the native's life. Um, Ptolemy, of course, doesn't... Uh, Ptolemy kind of disparages the use of lots, um, so that's one of the reasons why he wouldn't introduce them for topical matters in each chapter, but 
it's still curious the degree to which he doesn't introduce houses most of the time for topical matters and instead tends to emphasize planets. Uh, but that being said, that's not to say that Ptolemy didn't use houses. There's clear references to several houses and specific topical associations that he gives to those houses. Um, for example, he says that the what is it? It's like the 12th house is the place of slaves, and the 10th house is the place of proxis, or career, or action. Um, he associates the... Uh, he gives names to like the 11th house, he calls it the place of good spirit, um, and he uses the 6th house as a place of illness, which is more or less in line with traditional associations. Uh, from Dorotheus and Valens. So there is some... It's not necessarily true to say that Ptolemy doesn't use houses, um, but it is true to say that he they do play a more reduced role in his system than in other uh, Hellenistic authors, at least for topical purposes. Um, he definitely uses houses very frequently when it comes to the concept of angularity. Um, in almost every chapter of his work, he, his astrological work, he refers to planets being either angular, cadent, or succedent, and that plays a very important role in his system. Um, however, yeah, for the most part, he doesn't use the houses for topics, um, and this creates an issue because then it creates this sort of ambiguity um, about whether or not Ptolemy is using whole sign houses or quadrant houses. Um, I think if you read the text very, very carefully, there's enough references, to, he makes enough references to using the signs as houses that there's a good case that he was using whole sign houses at least to some extent. Um, if not, at least to some extent. At the very least, you'd have to admit that once you read those references, that there's some basic level where he seems to be employing whole sign houses for some things. Now, you could take that further, perhaps, if one were so inclined, and argue that that was probably Ptolemy's preferred method of house division, and he's basically just leaving that as unstated, because it doesn't need to be stated. And there's several other things, other techniques and technical concepts that he uses in his text that are left unstated in the introduction. Um, you could make that argument, but... That's sort of a digression that's not really important for our pr present purposes. The important point that I was trying to bring up there when it comes to Ptolemy is just that uh, because of this ambiguity in Ptolemy uh, about which form of house division he's using, because he never, he doesn't usually state it explicitly, or he never states it explicitly, I would, I would argue, um, it could have been left to open to interpretation. So maybe Hand was right in sort of putting forward that argue, that sort of tentative argument that perhaps uh, different differing interpretations of Ptolemy or interpretations of Ptolemy that focused on him maybe using quadrant houses was the reason why quadrant houses came to dominate at some point in the medieval tradition after the 8th century after the, that very early phase where whole sign houses seems to be more predominant. 
Uh, yeah, so that's that's an interesting argument to me. But um, like I said, this issue, I think, at least as far as what happened in the medieval tradition, which led to um, quadrant houses completely displacing whole sign houses, I think that that still requires a good deal of research. Um, and I, I personally, I think that either way that you, you go with it, that that was somewhat of an inf unfortunate loss to have lost the concept of whole sign houses because of the important role that it plays or that it played conceptually in perhaps motivating some of the basic concepts underlying the, the tradition or underlying traditional astrology. Uh, and I think that my personal preference as a sort of proponent of whole sign houses is that people should be looking into this issue. Uh, people that prefer quadrant houses should be looking into whole sign houses to see if there's anything valuable there that they could use uh, to see if whole sign houses could be a viable tool for them, either as a secondary overlay or as a sort of primary system for house division. Um, I will also say at this point that proponents of whole sign houses need to relook at, and, and this whole debate that's come up recently on Skyscript uh, has forced me to, after sort of looking at all of the texts again, it's sort of brought into focus the degree to which, by the late Hellenistic tradition, there was clearly some overlap between quadrant houses and whole sign houses going on. And some of the late Hellenistic astrologers were experimenting with using both whole sign houses and quadrant houses topically. And and that may that might be a good idea, basically, uh, is what I'm saying. So I think even those who are proponents of and who use whole sign houses as their primary system of house division at this point uh, should look into or, or review quadrant houses and start working with this we're thinking about this issue um, and thinking about or, or looking into whether or not some sort of creative synthesis between the two systems is possible and what that might look like. So I think that about wraps it up as far as uh, what I wanted to say when it comes to this topic and giving you sort of an overview of uh, what some of the issues are when it comes to this question of house division in the Hellenistic tradition, uh, what some of the different arguments are and where they came from, and also what my own personal views are at this point in time when it comes to uh, the development of houses and when it comes to the house division issue uh, in ancient astrology. Uh, so I hope that this has been interesting and enlightening for you, or you've learn something for the, from this show. Uh, if you have any comments or observations or questions, please don't hesitate to uh, post them on the, uh, the page for this show on the Traditional Astrology Radio website, and uh, otherwise you can email me. So that's it for this episode of Traditional Astrology Radio. Thanks for listening.